Today in Science from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. Liberty sees me, it stands by me, and celebrates me for who I am. When I come into the office, I feel that I belong here. I don't have to be corporate America Gabby. I can just bring Gabby to work. Reach your potential and find a job you love at Liberty Mutual. We offer development training, rich benefits, and a culture that lets you bring your whole self to work so you can pursue your tomorrow today. Ready to consider a career at Liberty Mutual? Find out how at LibertyMutualCareers.com. Today in Science from Wired. Vaccines are here. We have to talk about side effects. Disinformation could thwart distribution before government messages have a chance to push back. And debunking might turn out to be everyone's job. By Marin McKenna. Since Monday, these eagerly awaited COVID-19 vaccines have been going into the upper arms of healthcare workers all across the United States, and it's the first slender portion of millions of more doses to come. But already, the joy that the shots bring is being drowned out by worries. They spent billions of dollars on the vaccines to make the formulas, but getting people in the country ready to receive them didn't get as much attention. And this may turn out to be a mistake. The documentation that Pfizer and Moderna gave the Food and Drug Administration says that both vaccines have side effects, and they're just minor ones that go away after about two days. But a pretty substantial percentage of people who got the vaccine, they felt those side effects, and a few report some serious reactions to it. And so now, descriptions of those side effects are starting to get around through the news and social media accounts that the trial participants themselves have written. So the rest of us in the public are hearing these descriptions, and there hasn't really been an effort to contextualize or even counter those descriptions. Like, at the time of this recording, there hasn't been any coordinated national campaign that reassures the people that the vaccine not only works, but it's safe and won't cause any long-term illness. And the planners and health researchers are getting concerned that it's already getting too late in the game to do that work. Eric Toner is a physician and senior scholar at the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. And he says it's really important at this juncture when vaccines are about to be distributed to talk to people about the predictable side effects from the vaccine. He says the worst case scenario would be that we don't tell people this and they have a reaction and either believe that they got COVID from the shot or that there's something wrong. And that is a pressing concern for two reasons. First, people's fear of side effects turns out to be one of the main reasons that people doubt vaccines. And secondly, this mistrust just opens the door for confusion, for sure. But more concerning to me is weaponized disinformation about it. And those things are what's going to prevent people from taking the vaccine. And we need it. 
Okay, so there's the Henry J. Kaiser Family Foundation, and they have the KFF COVID-19 Vaccine Monitor. And what this thing is, is it's a survey of 1,600 people who are 18 and older. And it was created to give an ongoing measure of how the public feels about the vaccine. It says that for the most part, people are feeling more positive about the shot than they were earlier this year. Like in November, 71% of participants said they're likely to take the vaccine, and that's up from 63% in a survey done in September. But the remaining 27%, they said they probably or definitely never would take it. And a portion of that rose to 33% among black adults, 33% among essential workers, and 29% among people working in healthcare. And for those people, they're hesitant because they're afraid of the side effects. It's definitely a tricky thing to reassure folks about this because the side effects, they're real. Even though the Pfizer vaccine was only granted emergency authorization last weekend, and the Moderna one is not yet authorized, tens of thousands of people received them earlier this year in clinical trials. And in news accounts and on social media, participants have described experiencing a severe hangover or fever, fatigue and chills, or even full-on COVID-like symptoms. One participant even told CNBC he shook so hard with chills that he cracked a tooth. And those accounts match the data submitted by the companies to the FDA's Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee. And it's their job to review the safety and efficacy of these things. So here's some actual empirical data about these things. These documents say that the Pfizer formula caused fatigue in 59.4% of trial participants after their second dose. Headaches in 51.7%, muscle pain in 37.3%, joint pain in 21.9%, chills in 35.1%, and a fever in 15.8%. So if you want to compare, the numbers for the Moderna formula were released on Tuesday, and they're similar. Fatigue in 68.5% of recipients, a headache in 63%, aches and pains in 59.6%, chills in 43.4%, and a fever in 15.6%. Okay, so I get it. To the people who are experiencing these reactions, they're, they're not mild, but they are expected, and they do pass quickly. They've recorded very few serious adverse events. Like in the United Kingdom, there were two people who got the vaccine who had already had severe allergies, and they had an anaphylactic reaction to their first shot of the Pfizer formula. But they recovered. And the New York Times did say that on Tuesday there was a healthcare worker in Alaska who had just been vaccinated and had an allergic reaction and was hospitalized. And there were some U.S. participants, four who got the Pfizer formula and three who got the Moderna formula that did develop Bell's palsy. And that's where you have paralysis of the nerves on one side of your face. And it can last for several weeks. But the FDA told JAMA this week that the number of cases matches the background rate of the disorder in the whole population. So about 30 people out of every 100,000 every year. And that was not caused by the vaccine. Now, having a modest reaction to a vaccine is totally normal. It's just a sign that your immune system is revving up in response to the virus. And in fact, in both trials, there were percentages of participants who received an injection that was an inert placebo, and they also reported side effects. 
But people misinterpret the reaction, even with well-known, well-studied vaccines. Every year, they have to tell people it's okay to get the flu shot, and it doesn't give you the flu. Because when you get the flu shot, you do have a reaction at first that kind of feels like the beginning of the flu. And the flu is not a benign disease, so we do want to try to prevent it. But with the COVID vaccine, the stakes are just higher. Kristen Archoy is a nurse and a health services researcher at UCLA's Fielding School of Public Health. And she said, I worry that the side effects could be a major barrier to vaccine uptake. She actually wrote last week in a JAMA internal medicine essay, and she described her own reactions of chills, nausea, dizziness, and 104.9 degree fever. She says clinicians will need to be prepared to discuss with patients why they should trust the vaccine and that its adverse effects could look like COVID-19. So right now, one of the more challenging things is that the vaccines are so new. None of the trial recipients have been tracked longer than a few months. And even though there are a lot of people who did get it, that's still it's just a small fraction of the number of people who will end up getting it. And it's possible that a side effect that occurs once in a million doses could surface at some point after millions of doses are administered to people, because that happened back in 1976 with the swine flu vaccination campaign. More than 500 people in the U.S. came down with Guillain-Barre paralysis. And then in 2009, with the H1N1 swine flu pandemic, there was a group of small children in Scandinavia who got the flu vaccine and then they came down with narcolepsy. People are still going to remember those things. So health planners, they may not want to reassure everyone and then have to walk those reassurances back later. This is the age-old problem public health officials face where you need to reassure the public without having full information on hand, says Josh Michaud. Josh is an epidemiologist and the Kaiser Foundation's Associate Director for Global Health Policy. But even without all the information, pro-vaccine messaging has to get started. Josh says it's going to be absolutely critical to get ahead of the inevitable disinformation and misinformation that's going to be out there before it takes root. People being hesitant to accept vaccination, that's not a new problem at all. And social science has studied this hesitancy for years. Researchers are quick to point out that what looks like one block of opposition to getting vaccinated is really many overlapping populations that have different reasons for being hesitant. There's suspicion of science, historic mistreatment, political affiliations, even lack of access to information or to the vaccine itself, like in rural areas and places that are called pharmacy deserts. But the specific fear of side effects... Sema Seguer says that really hasn't been as well-researched as some of these other reasons. Sema is the co-founder and CEO of a nonprofit called Sergo Ventures, where they apply data science to public health problems. And she says, There is not that much evidence in terms of what kinds of messaging works. There will be an opportunity here to test different messages and see how we're going to alleviate these concerns. And that's great, but meanwhile, misinformation isn't going to wait. Two weeks ago, the BBC collected some of the more wild claims, like how the vaccine contains a microchip or fetal tissue, or that it can alter your body's DNA. And the BBC tried to debunk those. And the thing about claims like this is that they're not just misinformation. They're also malicious information. Joan Donovan is a social scientist and research director at the Harvard Kennedy School's Shorenstein Center. And she's been tracking this increase in mis- and disinformation since the pandemic started. 
She says, since very early on in January, we've had a concerted misinformation campaign to make the public doubt the science around the pandemic, pushing claims that this is a conspiracy, a lab-created bioweapon, an attack on the United States by China. This is a big problem because when people search for things like where did the coronavirus come from, they're not finding thoughtful discussions of the science. This part of the information market has really been cornered by disinformers. And that's why it's so urgent that we get out ahead of this thing. In the Lancet journal eClinical Medicine last week, the global health and vaccine experts Ali Makdad, Pete Hotez, and Walt Orenstein called for a national communications plan to anticipate problems. They wrote, The American public will need to hear public health information about vaccines from trusted organizations of the U.S. government and at frequent and regular intervals. We need fully engaged vaccine scientists and public health experts to possess top-flight communication skills. But here's the problem. In normal times, the people who would be expected to speak for science on a national scale would be federal health leaders. But under the Trump administration, federal health leaders were sidelined and undermined to the point that Anthony Fauci of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases had to speak to sports stars and lifestyle magazines to get his message out. And so now the incoming administration is working to reverse this loss of credibility. And President-elect Joe Biden has announced a 100-day plan to combat COVID. And he volunteered to get vaccinated on live TV with former presidents Barack Obama and George W. Bush and Bill Clinton. And this transition team released a social media message on Sunday about mask wearing, starring the incoming CDC director, the new Surgeon General, and a newly named National COVID-19 Response Coordinator. But the politicization and distrust remain so strong that it's possible that federal leaders aren't the right people to lead these educational campaigns on COVID vaccine safety anymore. There's a physician and public health researcher and distinguished lecturer at the CUNY Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy named Scott Ratson. And since March, he's been calling for coordinated, trusted sources to push vetted health information out to the public. And according to the National Academy of Medicine, he and some other academics are suggesting that they create this public-private COVID news bureau. And the idea is that it would be this massive stockpile of public health information and messaging that's been fact-checked so people could have the right information and that it could be posted on social media. Ratson says it has to be external to government and also external to industry because trust in all institutions is going down. And see, Ratson also co-founded an alliance of researchers called Convince, and it's for COVID-19 new vaccine information, communication, and education. And they want to use it to bring businesses on board to help promote vaccine literacy. It needs to be some group that can't be politicized by the left or the right, he says. But the difficult reality is there may not be time to wait for an organized messaging campaign. And so maybe the answer to walking people through their side effect fears is volunteers to step in and fill the federal void. That would be the same kind of volunteer action that already birthed the COVID tracking project or the COVID exit strategy, COVID Act Now, and the John Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center and a bunch of other ones. I mean, Benjamin Renton created the COVID-19 vaccine allocation dashboard. He's a student, yeah, a senior at Middlebury College. And that kind of volunteering is what started all the personal storytelling that popped up on social media this week. And it just sort of happened. Physicians and pharmacists and hospital janitors stepped up to show how thrilled they were to take their shot. 
and Joan Donovan says it's important to see people from different communities taking the vaccine and describing their experience of it. The way people message science is often very impersonal, very removed. The narratives that we need to tell now are compelling stories of people's humanity. So it may be that it's the responsibility of everyone who supports the vaccine, no matter where you are in the queue of getting it, to work to dispel concerns about it, to push back on disinformation, to just flood social media and Zoom calls and socially distanced chats with support, to be what the writer Emily Willingham once called nerd nodes for personal networks. Remember Kristen Choi, the nurse and trial participant from earlier? She predicted that this is what's necessary to make this work. She said, every physician and nurse in the U.S. needs to be prepared to have a conversation about adverse side effects with patients. I can already see the wrong message about the COVID-19 vaccine going viral. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at wired.com science. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.